welcome to the 25th episode of a Thai football podcast featuring me, Dale Farrington. And me, Rob Bernard. It's great to have you back, Rob. I missed you last week, mate. Oh, thanks very much. It was a great show. Yeah, it's not quite the same doing it on my own, though. It is genuinely good to have you back on. You were missed. Oh, thank you. So we've got quite a lot coming up in this week's episode, so we might as well just crack on. We're going to rewind a whole week back to last Wednesday when there was a round of League Cup games, which all pretty much went to form, didn't they? I think there were a couple of upsets, but by and large, the bigger teams won. And I asked Kevin to report from the Bangkok FC against Port game, which he was a complete neutral at, so he was he was able to give us a well-balanced report, and here it is. It's about 20 minutes before kickoff time in Bangmut Stadium. The players are currently warming up. Port FC, you know, th- you know, there's a quite healthy away fan. I-, I could say there's probably around 100, 120 away fans. And when it comes to home, I think we might have upwards of 800 to to 1,000 fans today. Let's hope we have a healthy crowd because this is a big game for Bangkok FC. Probably the biggest game so far in the season for them. So it's 10 minutes to kick off and the home crowd has turned out pretty healthy I would say in the stand opposite. I would say we have around 500 people easily over here at the moment. It could be more but it's looking pretty healthy so far. So the game has kicked off. The home crowd is actually really, really, really loud and the turnout has been really healthy for the home as well as the away crowd. I didn't know Chao Phaya Derby had something to it, but it's looking really healthy so far. Port currently on the play. Can they get a goal over here? Well done by the Bangkok FC defender, the number five. I don't know his name, but well done. Not even 10 minutes into the game, Port lead the game by one to zero. A poor defending you know, display from Bangkok FC, and eventually the Port player just chips it over the keeper's head. Makes it 1-0. Right now, Bangkok on the counter-attack. Is this going to be 1-1? It is 1-1. Holy <laughs> Holy <laughs> It is 1-1. It's crazy. 15 minutes into the game, I think Bangkok FC are doing really well on the press currently. But I don't think so they can keep up with the press. You know, considering they're a T3 club, I don't think so they can keep it up for 90 minutes. But so far, so good. The score is still 1-1. A banging of an equalizer for Bangkok FC, but I still think Port might win it. They're way more clinical in the passes, but let's see, anything can happen. The Lino has had a howl over here. It's the second time the number 10 of Bangkok FC has gone down. A really blatant foul. I don't know how the Lino did not spot that. It could have been a really good counter attack for Bangkok FC, but it's gone out for a throw-in for Port and the number 10 of Bangkok FC is currently lying down for the second time in less than 10 minutes. A golden opportunity for Bangkok FC and they literally missed a tap-in. It was 3v1. Bangkok could have led the game 2-1. Another defensive blunder from Bangkok FC. Port FC makes it 2-1. Bangkok FC should have capitalized on the chance they had early on. It was a tap-in, and if the game goes like the way it's going, they're going to regret it. 
So it's currently half time. The score is two for Port, one for Bangkok FC. I would say it's a pretty even game so far. Even though Port has like the majority of the possession, they have hardly, you know, been able to break the defensive line of Bangkok FC. Both the goals they scored was big defensive blunders from Bangkok FC. But I predicted the score to be three one for Port. Anyways, there have been a few chances for Bangkok FC to come back and equalize the game, or you know, we can see an upset today. There is a big chance for that. So let's be on the lookout. I just came in after the halftime and I've missed the third goal. Port is leading three and Bangkok FC is one. And just right, I stop uh, recording. Port goes and scores another goal. It's four-one for Port FC. Things are turning from bad to worse for Bangkok FC. That's the quality difference you get from the Premier League team and the third-tier team. Bangkok could have scored their second goal once again. The number 19. I don't know what he was doing over there. He just struck the ball up high, right in right in front of goal. He was like maybe four yards away from the goal. He should have scored that. It's almost 80 minutes here at Bangmut Stadium. The game has gone dull and boring. The score is still 4-1 for Port FC. Bangkok FC are just, you know, playing long balls and just hoping they can get something. And meanwhile, Mung Thong has just scored their fourth goal and have kept a clean sheet. Things are back, you know, in place for Mung Thong United. And I hope Bangkok gets at least one more goal so that the score does not look as bad as it is right now. It's been 83 minutes and people have already started to move out. It seems like a, uh, a bigger crowd than the usual match day for these people, so they probably worry about the traffic. But yep, people are moving out of the stadium now. It's been 83 minutes, 7 minutes more to go. Another big miss from Bangkok FC. They do win a corner though, but that should have been a goal. It has started raining out of nowhere. People are leaving the ground even more now. Thailand's weather, you know. Well, it's 5-1 to Port at the 90th minute. Brilliant free kick. In my opinion, it was an offside, but since there's no VAR, the, the goal has been given. They've just made it 6-1 as I'm leaving the stadium because it's pouring down here at Bangmot Stadium. 6-1 to Port. I'm leaving. That's my match report for today. Thank you for having me. Talk to you guys in the next one. A neutral report? Crikey, he was out of his seat when Bangkok equalised. And I have to say, it was a proper sitter at 1-1 that they missed. I like the banner at the side of the pitch, the Bulligans. I didn't follow the game. I only My only exposure to it was Kevin's report. But it seemed like quite a comfortable win in the end. Class told in the second half, class and fitness. I, th- I think that seemed to be the case. And as I said in the introduction, you know, most of the games went to form. The bigger teams, even though they were all drawn away, with one notable exception, they won quite comfortably. I mean, the, even the upsets or the so-called upsets weren't that much of a surprise where they're given current form. Not really, although I have to give mention, I watched the 3.30 game, Udon United against Buriram, and I tell you what, at 2 each, it could have gone either way. I know that the one four one at the weekend, Buriram, but Pappas was lucky to be set on the bench, because if they'd have got dumped out on Wednesday, I think that would have been the end. It's only a matter of time. 
time, isn't it? But I did watch the game on Saturday and they won very comfortably, but Nakon Paton were, were very poor indeed. They didn't offer much opposition. So I think it's probably giving him a, a slight reprieve, but I, I think he'll be gone. I can't see him being there for the second leg. No, whoever comes in's got a bit of a task. As is always the case at that club. And it's not, not just about what they do on the field either, is it? It's dealing with certain things that go on behind the scenes and on the bench. Indeed. Indeed. Almost like getting the England job in the old days. Hi, my name is Fran and I'm listening to a Thai football podcast. A couple more match reports now. These are from the weekend league games. We've got Reza, who again was first out of the traps with his report from... Ratchaburi's defeat at BG Patum United. And then we've got Tim with his thoughts on Chombury's home defeat against Port, which plunges the Sharks into real relegation trouble. Ties to the podcast. Match Sawadikap, good evening from Leo Stadium in Patum Tani. The match tie league week 13 between BG Patum hosting. Rajaburi FC. The match ended with the win for the home team, two goals by one. Rajaburi start the game by attacking. They had the first chance, but the early injury of Jiva, the goal scorer of the team, really changed the game. Rajaburi seems playing with 10 men. The replacement City Chop didn't give much improvement. The score by BG come from a crossing. Rajaburi tried to do their best to level the score. They had chances to do, but it's just not their day to score. And in the second half, Rajaburi tried to get back in the game, but BG seems defended very well until the around 75th minute that Rajaburi able to score a consolation goal, we can say. And it ends until the match ended. So, next game, Wangtong United. Come on, you dragons. Tied to the match reports. Yeah, hi Dale, we've just sort of walked in. Um, we are now 10 minutes before the start of the game. Probably about 15% full, I would say, at the moment, so a lot more than, than midweek game. Um, it's quite full outside, so a lot of people outside queuing up. What's going to happen today? Well, I don't know what the team is, so I'm thinking we probably will have our defence back, so we're going to get absolutely stuck. When I'm better than the central defender that we have, and I'm 59, by the way, certainly up front, I think up front, you know, you know, we were just saying this to me, me and Val before the game. Yeah, we had Dennis, who was a bit hit and miss, but we love Dennis. At the moment, we have someone that looks like Dennis, thinks he's Dennis, and he's just a tenth of what Dennis was. And Dennis, in all fairness, wasn't really that good. So, it's woeful. Can't see it scoring. Our defence will leak a lot of goals. We're going to get hammered. I think it's going to be a tough old year. Really tough year for us this year. If we escape, it's going to be the skin of our teeth. And I feel sorry for the youngsters, because certainly when you look at who they've brought in, they've been poor. And in some cases, in all the cases, not worth bringing the players in. And sometimes I think you've just got to say, you know, why bring four players in? And why not bring two of a higher pedigree? Better for the team. But the good thing is, we're keeping it quite calm and collated here at the moment. Someone just put beer on Val's seat, so I'm just telling them off. OK, Claire, so, um, pre-match food, what have you had today? I had some pasta salad that I made this morning, which 
wasn't that very exciting. And then uh, when I got here, I went to the 7-Eleven and bought like a ready meal, an omelette and rice. So I had that and some apple slices and some chocolate ice cream. And that's it, yeah? Not very exciting. Mal, Pal, what's your pre-match food? And I had the sea bass and the potatoes and the vegetables. Oh, very oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, that was really nice. You can't go yeah. wrong with the yeah, sea bass yeah. and the yeah. potatoes. Yeah, that was lovely. A nice Sunday lunch. Yeah. So I had got one of those circular boerverse things, you know, like I put on a griddle, like sausage sort of thing, and it was beef and beef and liver, which was, yeah, Claire goes, the bit was really tasty. And I had the same salad that Claire had with curry pasta salad. To be honest, I quite liked it because, uh, you know, the peanuts that went in it, I made them myself and Claire wasn't so keen on the ones that I made. But of course, when you make your own peanuts, you we like them. You make the peanuts, you, you salted them. Yeah, you I salted them. them. I sort of boiled them, salted them and roasted them. Yeah, that's, that's making them, isn't it? You don't grow something yourself, do you, when you make it? Like, you know, like you made the pasta. You didn't physically make the pasta. Anyway... We're on semantics here about food, so uh, so we'll leave it at that. So Claire, what's your prediction? 2-0. <laughs> to who? To Chumbery. Okay, nice positive, positive prediction for Claire. She watched us midweek and she actually thinks we're going to win. Do you want to reevaluate that at all? No. She's shaking her head there. She's absolutely positive. Chumbery are going to win this 2-0 against the resurgent port, a high-flying port. Val, what do you think? Well, mine will be uh, slightly more diplomatic, uh, 1-1. OK, and obviously I'm right at the other end, I think 3-0. 3-0 to Port, we're going to get absolutely trashed today. Apparently we've had a couple of changes in the second half, but I mean the good news is, is we're 50% of the way there, and we're actually attacking. But yeah, I mean, we're passing the ball around a little bit better. Having one defensive midfielder is better than two when one of them's utterly shit. But I mean, we're two nil down, we've got to attack, haven't we? Anyway, we've just had a little bit of quality from John Breen. 19, pick the ball up, and uh, one inside a player, dumb it in, and dropped his shoulder, hit it across the keeper, hit the post and went out. Really, really desperately unlucky. Great bit of skill, actually. 98, good bit of play. Corner Chambry. 11, just had a glorious, glorious chance. Ball came up over the top. Defender missed it. One on one with the keeper. And keeper saved. Should have put it away. Had the old goal at his place. 11, Chambry have been better this second half. Okay, so here we go, another chance, Chambury. Ball came over to the far left hand side. 88 got the ball at the far wing, pulled it inside, cracked a shot in, beat the keeper and just missed my near post. Nice play, Chambury. Second half, much, much better. 11's been good, 14's been excellent, and 88 is played really, really well. 7 is running around like a demon. It's nice to have a midfielder running for the ball, but we've still got nine on the pitch, who has done nothing all game. Still got 33, who's woeful at the back. Um, so we can actually manage to keep the ball this half, which is 
quite nice. He's playing it wide, bit of movement up front, players are running. Quite blind, isn't it? three, isn't it? But everyone else is moving for the ball. So for a whole bunch of subs, nine has come off, unsurprisingly really. 11 has come off, surprisingly, and 33 is still on the pitch. How is beyond me. Their keeper's just been booked for time wasting. 81 minutes in, 0 2. Still looking like, like it's going to be 0 2. 88 is now up front. I don't know why. Why would you put 88 up front? And we haven't got anyone in midfield anymore. And we've got like five players up front. We haven't got a manager, have we? So, you know, no one knows what they're doing. But that's no different from the last six months or a year and a half, really, to be honest. 89 minutes in, Chambry nil, Port 2. Much better performance in the second half, to be honest. We're giving it a bit of a go. Um, younger players on, and I'm surprised they haven't came off really tonight. I mean, maybe he's tired, but we were playing really, really well. Good second half. Well on Chambry, still lost though, and still in relegation zone. Yeah, it's going to be a tough old season from here. I mean, to be honest, I know Port always play well against us. We're I'll tell you what, BGP are coming up good. I watched them at Port the previous week and I thought they were a good outfit. Tim, oh, that sounds like my type of day out, Tim. Beautiful. I watched the match last night, and I know you're alarmed, Dale, but I think the Sharks are going to be okay. For what it's worth, I also watched the second half of Lampoon Pratchett up last night, and I reckon Pratchett are about doomed. Come, can United need to sort their defence out? Or Sukatai, I reckon. Sorry, Bill. Terror depending on the money problems. And and Wong Tong's money, if, if it arrives, will uh, sort them out. But Chombry last night in the second half, they weren't that bad in the first half, Dale, but in the second half, I thought they showed enough. They were very unfortunate at times. I just fear now we're getting stranded. We, we said on this podcast a couple of weeks ago that there weren't really any teams stuck at the bottom, but obviously that's changed. You've got Pratchett up, who you've just mentioned, who are a few points adrift, and then we're really struggling. And it's, I can't honestly see how we can turn this around. I mean, Tim said in his report about the quality of the, the players that we've got, and they're just not as good as what we've had in previous seasons. And we've got a y- lot of young lads there who, you know, for them, this is a brand new experience. And still no coach, so... I don't know. I mean, it's typical football fan. I mean, I, I am fearing the worst now after a, a little sort of glimmer of optimism following a couple of good results at Buriram and Ratbury and Chiang Rai. I just can't see where the next win's coming from. If they can just get to this break, maybe pick up another couple of points somehow and then get the new coach bounce, get, give him time to work with them in the break. Honestly, I thought they were a decent team last night. Port won, but the, there wasn't a massive difference between them. It was a good Port performance. They were and, and the first clean sheet Port have kept all season, believe it or not. Oh, I can believe it. <laughs> Given the quality of our attack. To be fair, Tim did predict that as well, didn't he? He said we wouldn't yeah. score. The woodwork had a good game for Port. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry yet. Dale, don't worry yet. I'm here to guide you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You might be talking me down at the end of the season. Anyway, moving on, we've got your report from the weekend, Rob. So would you like to introduce that? A nice, easy win, really. Seasicket United uh, consolidated the top of T3 North Eastern with a 2-0 win against Conken. Ties to the podcast. Match reports. 
calling in from the Srinakon uh, Lambda 1 Stadium in Ciseket, where the final score was Ciseket United 2, Conken 0. And to be honest, probably a game of two halves. Ciseket came out of the blocks flying, playing very good football. Our referee today, Patiot, gave a penalty after 10 minutes, which the Brazilian striker Danilo strokes home. The lead was doubled with a low shot across the keeper from uh, Panagazzi, the Argentinian midfielder for Ciseket, eight minutes before the interval. And it looked plain sailing. It was a good first half, but in the second half, the coach, for some unfathomable reason again, put the blocks on, brought on defensive substitutes, and that was it, 2-0. Saw it through very easily. Crowd of 580. Ciseket consolidate the lead at the top of the table. After the weekend's games, there's still a point clear of the nearest challengers, Maris Harakam. Final score again from three uh, Nakon Lamduan is Ciseket United 2, Conken 0. Thanks for that, Rob. It's, it's looking good, isn't it, for Ciseket United in that league? It is. I, I think that the, themselves and Maris Harakam, they play on the very last day here in Ciseket, and I think those two will pull away. And obviously, whoever finishes top gets that extra playoff game at home. So, yeah, I think I think it's looking good. The, the coach is very dull with his tactics, but they don't let goals in. I'm, I'm beginning to wonder whether the, uh, an Italian man came on holiday here many years ago because it's just like watching a, a Serie A team from uh, 1980. Well, if it's getting results, that's the way you've got to look at it. I mean, we can't all play with that Cavalier style, can we? And if it's effective and it works with the, the personnel that he's got, then that's the way it's got to be, I guess. It is, but he's got the personnel to be much better. Nice to see the players, by the way, come to Leo's after the game, it, my little gathering, we all had a say hello to them. They seemed very nice lads. Now, I did see this conversation you were having on Twitter with Marco because he told us the story a few weeks ago, didn't he, about Leroy Lita being spotted in a Ciseket nightclub. Did you, did you manage to work out if it's the same place or not? wasn't the same one as Saturday. I went to a very classy Belgian establishment, I'll let you know. But I have a feeling I know which nightclub it was, yeah. I think we might have to investigate. When, I, when I'm next over, that's that can be our first port of call. <laughs> Good idea. Right, next up, we've got an interview with Anthony Sutton. Now, Anthony has been around the Southeast Asian game for a long, long time, mainly based in Jakarta, but he did live in Bangkok. He spent quite a lot of time in Thailand, and he followed Thai football quite closely. So this is me and Anthony talking about his experiences watching football in the region, and also about the two books he's written that focus on Southeast Asia and the characters that have shaped the game here. Welcome along, Anthony. It's great to have you on the podcast at last. Hello, mate. How you doing? You all right? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, it's good Good to speak. I think the last time we met up was in a pub in Burton-on-Trent. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. We need to raise something else sometime next year. Get to a gig or something, maybe. That might be better. Yeah. You've come on today basically to talk about your memories of Thai football and plug your books that you've written. Is that right? Yeah, it looks that way, yeah. Um, my memories of Thai football are getting more and more distant now, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's always good to talk about football in Asia anyway, Southeast Asia especially. You say, you say your memories are getting more distant. That's something that comes with age. I can definitely identify with that. But what 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 sticks out most for you, apart from standing me up that time at Bangkok Glass? <laughs> yeah, that was a good trip there. I enjoyed that. It all started back in... We went to the menu the first game together. Didn't we? Well, not together, but we were at the same game, which was our first game, wasn't it? Remember that? The international against South Korea. South Korea. 
back in, was yeah. it 97? 97, yeah, March, wasn't it? Early March, I think, 97. Yeah, so that yeah. was your... That was your first ever game in Thailand. It was also my first ever game in Thailand. And I always wanted to go see Thai Farmers Bank play because they, they had a shop in CM Square. I'd always regret the fact that I never bought any merchandise from the shop. But um, yeah, I'd like to, because back then, of course, Thai Farmers Bank were a superb team, weren't they? One of the best teams in Asia. But it was a funny old league in those days. I always remember looking at the paper thinking, I want to go see a game. I want to see a game. But you look at the fixture list in the Bangkok Post by Mr. Tor. It's quite appropriate. His first name is three letters because most of the league was made up of teams with three letters, wasn't it? So the SCT playing TFB, BBC playing TAF and PAT playing KTB and stuff like that. So it's very, for an outsider look at it, and that's the internet, it's very difficult to get handled anything, wasn't it, in those days? It wasn't very appealing either, was it? Uh, they used to show the games on a Saturday afternoon on yeah. whatever the, the forerunner of True was. I can't remember what it was now. And big empty stadiums with these lads running around in the searing heat trying to entertain us for an hour and a half. And invariably it was raining or it looked really pretty grim. I was used to work on a Saturday also, which didn't help. But I remember watching the Asian Cup or the Asian Games in about 94, 95 in a little grotty restaurant place off Soy Nam Nupli. And they showed the Thai games in there. And three people stood, three players stood out in, in those games for me. Was One was Tawan, one was Kedasuk, and one was somebody else whose name I've forgotten, but I think you probably know him anyway. And it's quite interesting how when you're watching a football in a foreign country and you don't know the lingo, some names do stick out, in part because of their name and also in part because of the way they're playing. So those three those three players have, st- have stuck to me. Pierpong, was it Pierpong? It would have been, yeah. So that was like my introduction to Thai football. And then really, but when I was living in Thailand, and even though I, re- I live very, very close to Thai port, um, just two rides of the bus stop, I think it was, three rides of the bus. I never really went to any games. I went to the Arsenal game, which was a disaster as usual with me. And, you know, started drinking early. It wasn't really until I got, moved to Indonesia, got interested in Asian football. And then I started going to games in Thailand and telling my wife, my new wife, oh, I'm just going to Bangkok for the weekend. And so, you know, her friends are going, oh, your husband's going to Bangkok for the weekend. Is he? Oh, really? That's nice. And of course I was. I could watch the football. And uh, of course, the first game I, I went over for, I thought it'd be a good game. It'd be Thai Port against Chonburi. And I had this really good idea about actually travelling to the game with Chonburi fans. So even though I, lived, I was staying close to the ground, I got the bus out to Chonburi, met the Chonburi fans, i.e. you, and got the bus back in again. So I don't know if you remember that much, much about that trip. I- I do, I remember it very well. Well, the buses didn't turn up, if you remember. We were waiting yeah. at the usual place and the, the two buses we'd booked just didn't appear. And I think right. we'd already made a, a contingency plan, hadn't we, to either go for a drink or try and source <laughs> a local game. But eventually, I think a, a fleet of minibuses, if I remember correctly, arrived at the like the last minute and got us, right. got us to the ground in time for kickoff. Yeah, and I think we met Marco at the ground, didn't we? He was... Um taking his shirt off in the shop. It's like something like a Levi's jeans ad for him taking his shirt off to try a tie port shirt in the shop, which was a sight for sore eyes. After the game, I walked home. And then you, of course, you were at the infamous Mung Tong Chombri game when they were oh, they yeah. were literally building the ground around us, weren't they, as we were going in? That's right, yeah. And uh, that was the biggest ever crowd in Thai, thai football history, wasn't it, at the time? Was it 17,000 or something? We got in three or four hours before kickoff. Right, and there was no beer to be had anyway. We just sat there like a couple of lemons, watching the the, the ground fill up and then get extended yeah. before our eyes. Yeah, people climbing floodlight pylons and stuff. That's right. Yeah, yeah. This got old bugger on the pitch waving his chombery flag. The old, old white guy waving his chombery flag on the pitch. Um, what about the security? Was there any? I don't remember there being any any kind of organisation at all that day. Wasn't there some kind of incident? And I can't oh, I think this. Yeah, the second half was delayed by about half an hour, wasn't it? I think it was just sheer numbers. I mean, the, the right. away following that day was 
I mean, easily the biggest we've ever had, I think, at a game. And it right, yeah. just couldn't cope. We were all on the at the side of the pitch. And like I said, they, they were having to open up stands to let the overflow in. And they, they just yeah. couldn't cope with the numbers. That was the problem, I think. Well, the funny thing is, um, just before that game, you sent me a video of the Chombri Wangton game where Wangton won 5-2, I think, at your place. Was that the same season? It was, yeah. That was Well, that game was switched. for some, They played it at Nong Pru in Patia because our ground right. was waterlogged. And they just wanted wanted the game to go ahead, so we yeah. we forfeited home advantage. We all had to traipse down to Patia, and then we got we were two nil up, and everything looked like it was going really well. And then they just ran in five goals. Again, that's one of those games where you see a player for the first time and think, "Wow, this guy's something special." And that was Cowan, the goalkeeper. Of course, he was. I was impressed by him that day in that, in that video that you sent me. So he's one of you know you, you see players for the first time, and occasionally they do stick out for you. And, they, and it it just seems seems that like it's more Thai players have done that really than Indonesian players, which is weird when you consider how many games of Indonesian games I've seen against how many Thai games I've seen. But I guess that's the main difference in the quality between the gap between the two countries where the Thais are producing these quality, technically quality players and Indonesians aren't. We've certainly produced a few over the years. It's it's just frustrating when they, you know, they like Cowan again is a perfect example of someone who, who definitely de- deserves to do better. You know, he, he should have really gone on in the game and, and made a really good living out of it. But it's just that next step, isn't it? So where's Cowan now? He's back at Mung Tong. He's, he's part he? of the coaching staff, but they played a friendly yesterday against a Japanese team, um, I think it was Consadole, in a, one of these, you know, uh, I don't know how they describe it, J-League J- League Challenge or something, I think it's called. And right. he actually played, so whether he's planning a, a comeback, I'm not so sure. But he, he probably still do a job, to be honest. He moved to Belgium, didn't he? And he went for the he signed for the team in Belgium that's signed by the Thai people. And these moves don't help the players of that team because you know they're moving for one reason alone, not because of their quality, but because they're Thais and the Thai owners can say, "Look at us, look what we're doing." Even if they are good enough, there's always that suspicion that they've got to move through nepotism more than any ability. Which, of course, taxing started in 2007, didn't he, with his old Man oh, City? Yeah. Manchester yeah. City. He had Surrey, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And a couple of others as well. Tiracil, who's still playing. Wasn't Surrey a Steve Darby favourite as well, wasn't he? Steve speaks very highly of him. Which leads us nicely into the, the next bit. Yeah. Your book about Steve, how, how did that come about? Well, I always felt that um, he deserved it. I thought his story was amazing. Um, I'd first come across him, Steve, in Australia. We never met, but he was writing, he would write frequent articles in a magazine called, in a newspaper called the Australian Soccer Weekly, which I bought because I was following Australian football. And his name would frequently appear in his magazine. So I knew him from there. And then when I moved to Indonesia and started watching the um, ESPN Star Sports, He's, he's there on television. And um, soon after I started the Jakarta Casual blog, but I was still getting, I was getting hits of about 10 to 15 a day. Steve was one of the first people to contact me. He said, hi, I'm Steve Darby. I'm a coach. I was like, I know who you are, Steve. I've been, I've been following your career off and on for 15 years. So <laughs> it was a massive boost for me to, um, you know, when you started out with something, to be picked up by somebody who is, you know, a legend in the region for what he does. And though, once I got involved in writing, it was kind of like, okay, well, I'll try and write a book about somebody who's the best person to do it about. And probably the easiest one I know about is Steve Darby, who has a career and a record and a tradition in Southeast Asian football. And so I said to Steve, should we do it? He says, okay, let's do it. And I spoke to the publisher and I said, okay, let's do it. Because the publisher I work with, Fair Pay Publishing, are in Australia. And of course, what's forgotten about Steve is that he actually spent the longest time actually in Tasmania, I think it was, 10 years in Tasmania. So, you know, he's got this fascinating football pedigree. And deep down, you know, at the end of the day, he's, he's a fan. He's a mad fan. He's as mad as you and me were when we were younger. 
you know how you do like fancy league stuff during the summer, wait for the new yeah. season to start, and um, you'd write down like the list of the teams and the players and everything, and like you, have, you, you organize cup competitions and league tournaments, right? And you write them down in your school exercise books. Steve's still got his. I mean, he's got stuff going back to the 1960s of, um, you know, like Liverpool winning the FA Cup. What was Liverpool winning things? I don't know how that happened. He's got all these records from this fantasy stuff he was doing back in the 70s. And, uh, you know, to hear him talk about his time like that, he just, you can hear the fashion of football, but he's kept it all. His man has a hatter. He's kept all that stuff. It's fantastic. He's not, he's not worried about medals or trophies, right? Have you got any medals? I think the one we might over there. And oh, by the way, here's my fantasy football from 1971. Oh, and here's a cricket from the same year. He's, he's got a wealth of, of stories to tell as well, hasn't he? Which, which again, oh. when you're writing a book about someone, is is a big advantage, I guess. So do, do you have a, like any favourites from his time in Thailand? I mean, he, he's told me a few off the record. The best anything, ones. Yeah, they are the best ones. <laughs> so are there any you can kind of share that will we'll pass the censors? He was down in Indonesia for a FA for um, a Suzuki tournament one year. And don't ask how. But my wife was on the medical staff of the Indonesian national team that day. I have no idea how that happened. And uh, so she sat in like, the VIP section or whatever. And uh, I'm, up in, I'm in the press box doing it for the local newspaper. And for the second half, Steve was told to go up into the main stand and watch the game from up there. I guess to let them know a different viewpoint. And so as Steve goes into the main stand, my wife's going, Steve, 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 Steve. Over here, over here. So he spent the whole of the second half, sat with my wife, nattering about whatever, I do not know what, instead of watching the game. So I don't know if you got in trouble for that, but, um, you know, that's the kind of guy I guess he really is. He's, he's um, a few players told me he's a proper people person. You know, he's happy talking to people about football or just being with people, you know. So even though he's there on international duty, he spent the game chatting to my wife. And I think a day later or something, two days later, we were sat in a bar at the hotel in Jakarta. and I can't get over this. I'm sat in the bar in Jakarta, which I did once or twice, with Steve Darby, Dave Booth, who was coaching Lau. He was coaching Thailand for many years as well, I think, and India. And Steve Booth, oh no, this is Brian Robson. Brian Robson was there. And oh, the Singapore coach, Roger, Roger Kapoor, was it? Or was it? No, the Malaysian coach, the Malaysian coach. And I'm sat with these coaches of national football teams in this bar having a beer. And I thought, what the hell am I doing here? I'm just a fat English guy with too much free time. And I'm sitting and listening to Brian Robson asking the Malaysian coach what went wrong. And they're sitting there discussing tactics, peer-to-peer, respect-to-respect. And I'm like, this is fascinating. Because, you know, you have this, because of the media we have in the UK, you have this image that Brian Robson's like on his pedestal. He's like some kind of great god or whatever. But he was the most down-to-earth person uh, you could meet when you consider his status. And he's talking on a level with, with, these, with the Malaysian coach. And um, you know, he wasn't upset by me being there or anything. And the only thing I was upset about was I had to leave because I had some mates waiting for me outside. But I, I could have stayed there for hours and just listening to them because it was just, you know, a fascinating occurrence. Another thing about Steve was, um, again, I think it was um, Tyler was in Indonesia and I didn't want to, I didn't always do reverent posts on Jakarta Casual, did I? I was quite, did some like irreverent yeah. stuff sometimes. And I did one post about how, yeah, the tires, the tire players were a bit tired because the night before they'd been out in Block M, which is a notorious bar district in, in Jakarta. And about 10 minutes after I'd written that, Steve sent me an email. Can you please get rid of that, please? In case any of the Thai media font read it, you'd be surprised how they get onto stuff. Because he, he he said that um, if the Thai media picked up on it, then him they'd both be in the shit. Him and Brian Robson or Peter Reed, whoever it was, would both be in the shit before let the players go out. He said even though it's only even though it's not a serious post. So I deleted that straight away, and I was happy. To, I didn't want Steve to get any trouble over it. But you know, I, I guess that comes about because he builds relationships with people, doesn't he? And um, he gives people a lot of good information. And he said to me one time, actually. When he first meets somebody, he says he gives them information and sees if they use it or not. 
And if they use it, if they use it, he says he never talks to them again. <laughs> That's, it's a good way of testing if you can trust somebody, I think. It is, yeah. And um, obviously, I must have passed the test. And over the years, and you know, we've always had great little. I've always enjoyed talking with him about football in Southeast Asia and his career, and you know, his honesty is just sheer honesty about everything, you know. So, but also the hard work he does, you know. And I, I love the fact that he was born in the shadow of the cop, and I think. For the first 10 years of his life, he never left his postcode, basically. He didn't need to because he had Anfield next door. He had a school just after that. He had the World Cup come to his back garden almost, for Christ's sake. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, you know, you can, you can forgive him being insular, but he wasn't. He was the most open-minded person. And and you can see how maybe some of the players in Malaysia and Singapore responded to that because, I guess, growing up, he had this idea of what, what it means to be in a kampong, in a village, in a small community, which many of the footballers in Malaysia and Singapore also have. So he respected, he, he understood, instinctively understood their mentality because that was what he grew up with. So it's quite remarkable how somebody who basically never left, a, never, never left a certain area of Liverpool went on to coach around the world, do a bloody good job along the way, pick up a number of languages which he could use to a fairly decent level and win a few trophies as well. And be highly expected, highly respected. So you know, he's an English success story. I think, which deserves to be better known. I think absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I mean, I you know, I, I haven't spoken to him anywhere near as much as you have. But every time I've approached him for something for blogs I've been doing or websites, he's he's always been there. He's always responded really quickly. And you know, the information that he's given me has been great. I think you know, it's it's, it's kind of. I think the the, the phrase "well travelled." was written for Steve, wasn't it? And it's it's great yeah. that he's in recognition. The only thing I'd, I'd take issue with, apart apart from Tamla Motown, is his taste in music, which is pretty appalling. Well, we tend uh, not to discuss that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about, his, you know, never leaving his postcode. I mean, while he was growing up, we had Beatlemania and the Mersey Sound. And his mum, his, mom, his mother used to work just around, just around the corner of the cavern. And yet he was at home writing right down his little fictionist, you know, coming up with his dream teams. Or playing Sabuya with his best mate around the corner. It's fantastic. It's, it's, he's so single-minded on football all, all from day one and didn't really care about the Beatles, wasn't interested in the Beatles. That's been great. I really enjoyed that. And thanks for sharing some uh, some new stories and some new insights into Steve. And if, if you want, now's your chance. You can plug the books you've got for sale. They make great Christmas presents. So over to you. Plug away. So there's one called Steve, um, the itinerant coach by Steve Tarby, who we've just been talking about. It's available from Fair Pay Publishing and also on Amazon. And the other one is called Support Your Local League about watching football in Southeast Asia. The focus obviously is on Indonesia, but there's little bits in there also about Thailand, Malaysia and Singapore. And I mean, looking back, I had a great many years watching, traveling around Southeast Asia watching football. I was back, I was back there just recently, actually last month, saw some games in Singapore and Indonesia. And part of me still misses it in a way. It's good to do it, and hopefully I'll get back and do it again sometime soon. But if you do want to know about football in Indonesia and Southeast Asia, check out Support Your Local League, available also from Fair Play Publishing and from Amazon. And thank you to Dale for giving me this opportunity to try and sell one or two more books before Christmas. My pleasure, mate. As always, and thanks for that. Thanks for taking the time because I know you're very busy, and hopefully we will catch up before not too much longer. Maybe at a match or at a gig. Yeah, we'll keep in touch, mate, and then we'll try and sort something out. And um, yeah, if you press stop now, I'll press in stop. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dale and Anthony. That were a lovely interview. Some smashing stories in there, and the love of the game comes through from both of you. I'm still reading the itinerant coach, and it is it's a good read. And I have to say, it confirms what Anthony was saying about what a dedicated man and, and football lover Steve is. It's it's a cracking read. I, I love the opening bits of it, going back to Steve's childhood. It reminds me of myself in some ways. There were some good insights in the interview as well, weren't there, where he, he talked about Steve compiling his 
his fantasy football teams and his cricket teams. And as, as he said, that's something we all did back then. Th- those of us of a certain age, that was how we spent our time. Simpler, harmless days. It was nice to turn the tables as well. Anthony's interviewed me a few times for his now, uh, shall we call it Moribond? <laughs> Jakarta Casual blog spot, which was a real go-to source of information back in the day. He, he was updating it every day, three or four times, in fact. And it was it was always a fascinating read. And as he said, very irreverent at times. Yeah, it was good. Without trying to blow smoke, I could sit with you two and have a very long drink, I think, and chat about those times. Oh, thanks, Rob. Well, we'll, we'll try and arrange that. That'll be lovely. With or without a tape recorder. Yes, yes. Anyway, some more exciting news. Anthony has very kindly given us a free copy of his book, signed by Steve... Anthony's very quick to impress on us that he's, he hasn't signed it. It's just Steve Darby that signed it. And he's going to offer that book as a prize in a competition. Competition So if you'd like to win a copy of The Itinerant Coach by Anthony Sutton and signed by Steve Darby, you have to answer this simple question. Which football team does Steve Darby support? And then if you can send your answers in to the usual places, we'll put the link in the show notes under here and I'll put it all over social media on Twitter and Facebook. You can send it in. Then when we get all the correct answers, we'll have a draw and we'll announce the winner next week. And it's a great prize to win. As, as Rob's just said, it's a, it's a fantastic book. So well worth winning. Hi, I'm Sabina. I'm listening to a Thai football podcast. We're going to close this week with the ongoing saga is Police Terror. And Graham Watson, who's a regular contributor to this show, is a Police Terror fan. And he's sent us his thoughts just summing up the situation as he sees it. So these are Graham's thoughts on the current situation at Police Terror. What a shambles of a situation at Police Tarot. The club need to look in depth at how this was allowed to happen and why guarantees were not put in place when they jumped on the Cambodian money truck. The Cambodians are silent and have had no open dialogue with the fans on what the real situation is. I think this is poor and unfair. The club officials, not just the Cambodians, need to take some responsibility here. Rumors of all foreigners and up to 10 Thai first team players leaving. If we survive, T2 here we come. Every team circling for Isaac Hani. Without him Taro cannot defend, or attack. However, Zhang Wujaun has been great up front. I understand the players wanting to leave, it's just a pity that all teams will now be looking to grab a bargain at Taro's expense. Seeing Isaac Hani in a port shirt will make me sick. The Trat game at home was the lowest attendance of the season and the atmosphere was dead. The fans seemed dejected and no one really knew what was going on. I have heard that Chang are due to pay the sponsorship money in December which means players will get 30% to 70% of what they are due. If this is true, it's too little too late. On a positive note, three days in Chiang Rai coming up. A cracking place for football and a piss up. Who knows, we might wake up one morning with a Christmas bonus, full wages, a new 10-year deal for Isaac Hani, and go into the rest of the season full of confidence. Keep up the good work with the podcast guys, really enjoy it. Cheers. 
Blimey, Graham. I don't know whether it's the stress or the free pop on the way. What untiny that's affected your vocal cords. But I tell you what, you're striking a chord with us. It's a terrible state of affairs at Terror. It's rotten, isn't it? Absolutely shocking what's going on there. And it, it doesn't look good. I mean, even though he said, you know, they, they might get, th- well, might be in the operative word, 30 to 70% of their salary, it's not looking good, is it? I mean, this... Seriously, we could be seeing the end of the club here. Well, I hope that they can get through till this break and find salvation somehow. It's very important we don't lose a member club, especially from the top flight. It would be a disaster. The game at Chiang Rai will be kicking off after we've rec- done this recording. And nothing against Chiang Rai, I'll be cheering for Tero tonight. It doesn't matter who you support. It's never nice to see this happening to another club. On that bombshell, that's the end of this week's podcast. So I hope you've enjoyed it and fingers crossed for Tarot and their future. So what are your plans for this coming week, Rob? Well, it's the big derby here next Saturday. It's between Rice East Eye and Seasicket, so I'll be getting to that. But until then, I might watch some games in the uh, in the Insurance Cup on Wednesday. It's the quarterfinal rounds. The fixtures as ever are on Facebook. Right, well, whatever you go to watch, enjoy, and we'll speak next week. All the best, take care wherever you are. 